Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode number 69. Tonight, you're with myself, Paul Spain. Uh, me, Mike Borgfeldt from Tech Day. And Mitch Olson, co-founder of uh, Small Worlds. Great to have you guys along. Uh, Mike, your first time on the, on the podcast. That's right, episode 69. Stoked to be here. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Mitch, it's been uh, must have been about a year since we last had you on. That's right. I feel like a, a an old timer, having been here twice now. <laughs> no, great, great to have you back in the studio, and uh, very convenient that your uh, office is uh, is just around the corner from ours. So uh, hopefully, it wasn't uh, a big a big journey for you, but although a bit wet out tonight. It was. It is very wet out tonight. All right, now let's get into it. We've got uh, we've got quite a bunch of uh, topics to uh, to run through today. Now. Uh, probably the one I'd like to talk about first is is um, one that's that's probably of interest to a, a fairly large percentage of our our audience and um, probably to to all of us here in the studio, and that's an announcement of a new uh, ISP launching today, uh, Fix, which is an offshoot of uh, offshoot of Maxnet. Now, Mike, you've been writing about this uh, today. Yeah. Um, can you sort of break it down for us? What is what is Fix all about? Um, from it seems like the idea is that um, the um, it's called global access is their main point of difference. So they are all about um, their sales pitches that for, up until now the internet in New Zealand's been a bit closed off. They said we don't necessarily get access to um, everything that the internet has to offer, and so they are offering a, um, a special sort of unblocked service where you can access anything that you can um, anything that you can find on the internet and you can you can access it through fix yeah it looks pretty cool doesn't it um, Mitch have you have you tried these sort of services before in terms of the the previous ones we got a lot of hoops to jump through to uh, to get access to you know US content like Netflix and, and Hulu and so on yeah I mean in the past obviously to get access to these sorts of things you'd need to sign up for a, uh, a VPN service and you're, you're paying generally around about 15 bucks a month plus for access to those services and my experience with them in the past has been that uh, sometimes the uh, your bandwidth is is a, a shadow of its former self in terms of being able to access uh, the likes of yeah uh, specifically I've used it for trying to access Netflix. So it's going to be interesting to see with um, basically integrating that access into the 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 standard ISP service. Obviously, it's going to make it a lot more accessible, and it'll be interesting to see what their um, download speeds are like, and whether it's going to make really make streaming video streaming based services like Netflix and and Hulu truly accessible. Yeah. Well, so what I've been able to figure out is yeah they've got that uh, they've got that service and it, and it works on a um on a by uh, a, a DNS change rather than a full blown uh, VPN and what that allows them to do for our um well I guess it, it, it it's fairly technical but uh, some of our listeners will be familiar with a service called Unblock US and that basically pushes certain types of traffic through. Uh, a US server only so rather than everything you go through this uh, proxy server and my impression is that uh, that they're, they're doing something along those lines and uh, in, in fact they've partnered up with a with an existing provider of these sort of services so they're not reinventing the world they're using an existing service that operates today uh, but they've, they've got that you know packaged right into their standard offering so not only will you be able to get access to US services like you know Netflix and Hulu we've got Amazon Video uh, Microsoft Zoom services and so on but also things like uh, BBC's iPlayer out of the UK and then you know there'll probably be other services uh, come along over time uh, so it should be very very simple you just join up with this uh, uh, offering use them as your internet provider and you go to access these bits of content uh, and instead of getting blocked you should have access they did um, post an interesting tweet this morning sort of just after the news came out they um, posted a, a tweet explaining that um, everything about it um, you know people still need to check what's 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 legal in terms of what they uh, what they what they're accessing? That they're not a you know they're not a content provider. They're an ISP, so they're not they're being careful not to not to guarantee too much. Yeah, absolutely. You look at their website, and there's actually no mention of Netflix or these other things. Sure, you know other people's articles will will mention all of those services, but 
they don't want to get on the wrong side, I guess, of Netflix and other providers by saying, hey, we provide this service. But if you join up with them, the you know the chances are most of these services are going to work. And yeah, your other point, you know, around illegalities and so on. I think I think the consensus is generally there's nothing illegal about using this type of service to access uh, paid U.S. services. Uh, but to access those services, you may be breaking their um, you know their terms and conditions of of use. Uh, because they may say, hey, you need to be in the US to use this service or you need to be in the UK. So there are usually terms of service associated with each of those services and, and that's one of the things that the fixed guys have sort of made a point of saying, hey, you know, you need to read those things and it's yeah, it's your responsibility to uh, to behave well. Yeah. Well, I, I know in the past also some service providers have looked at, say, for instance, your credit card and t- to see whether it's one that's been issued out of the US or... or um, or not and, and have, have limited access based upon that so it will be and, and obviously they often look for when you're registering they look for a US address obviously the easy thing to do there is just to, to find a, a valid address and just put that uh, put that in when you're registering not that I can do yeah that I mean there certainly are a few hoops to jump through to make this <coughs> stuff work so you know I guess what you know what we see here with um, an internet service provider model that 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 allows you to connect without blocking just you know um, you know drops the bar just a step lower and makes it that much easier. I guess the other thing that struck me when I looked at this the the news release around this is also just the pricing as well is pretty attractive. Um, so what was what is it? Um, Thirty thirty four dollars and thirty four cents a month for the, your base uh, ADSL two plus connection, and then thirty four. Uh, cents per gigabyte which the only other ISP I'm aware of that's been offering this sort of per gigabyte type plan rather than having to buy big blocks of of data uh, is World Exchange and I think they were around a dollar a gig so this heavily undercuts uh, the other provider that has been popular in that space and I think that's really attractive it means if you go away for a month then you're not going to get charged any data if you want to blow through 100 200 gigs worth of data well it's only $34 uh, yeah only $34 per per 100 uh, gigs of data which is a, a pretty attractive offering got to say and i've said on the i've said in their material that um, you know part of the idea is that you're going to be able to do away with some other services that you might subscribe to um, so that's you know i mean potentially yeah i mean i've gone through that process and ditched sky i think there's a lot of reasons why people use Sky to you know it's not just for movies and, and TV programs there's there's you know sport content and uh, news but there's certainly other ways of getting access to uh, you know to news whether it's you know through Freeview or you know streaming BBC services uh, like I, I play um, but sports probably the big one if you're a sports fan sure you, you may be you know left out in the cold a little bit there um, now the other, there's been quite a lot of discussion online just today since the announcement came out about 9am this morning, and some of the the questions that people have. One of the the um, notable ones was, I think people were really concerned that because we've now got what was sort of an underground type service, uh, you know, known only to a few tech heads, now that it's actually uh, becoming available as a standard sort of ISP offering, uh, are we going to see a situation where Netflix and other providers actually start, um, you know, blocking blocking access. So, you know, uh, from Fix perspective, they're not coming out and saying we guarantee you access to this service or that service, and and they can't guarantee that. Uh, but chances are, for those of us that have been running VPNs and other services like Unblock US for the last year or so, these things just keep working. There hasn't been any interruption to service, so. I would say there's probably a pretty good chance that we're not going to see any interruption to service, but no one can guarantee it. As long as they keep getting the getting their ticket clipped, I don't see why they should they should have a problem with it. Someone else is someone else is going to the trouble of of, of bringing it here. They're taking all the risk. I, I I can't imagine them having any any problem with it at all. I guess the question is whether um, organisations uh, we won't mention any particular, but uh, who may have licensed some of this content for distribution in New Zealand would go back through their channels and try and sort of, uh, you know, uh, yeah, cause, cause some issues in the, in, the, in the U.S. But, you know, if they were going to do that, you would have thought they would have done that, you know, a year ago. Sure. Um, but there's always the possibility that something like that will happen. Uh, if it does, I imagine there'll be 
that fix or somebody else will come up with another workaround, right? And gr- great to see some innovation in the ISP space too. We haven't seen really much innovation in the space for um, a long time. So, yeah, good on you, MaxNet, for um, trying something new. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a... I mean, it's certainly something we've promoted this type of, um, you know, access to US content for a long time here on the podcast. And, yeah, it's actually quite a surprise. I was quite surprised to hear that uh, that MaxNet were coming out with this offering. And we definitely would encourage people to uh, to get on board and to and to give it a go. Um, of course, we should also mention uh, QuickFlix, which is kind of the uh, the service that's available in New Zealand at the moment through any ISP um, to streaming content. But at the moment, it's still very, very limited in terms of the uh, the content that's available. We don't really have a whole lot of other options um, you know, other than the, the streaming options that the local TV stations are offering. So, yeah. Interestingly enough, I was talking to an advertising agency company uh, today, and they were talking about the the difficulty in weaning their their clients off um, TV-based advertising. But I think this is just uh, another example of the the um, impact that the the internet is having on on traditional broadcast mediums like TV. And it'll be interesting to see where things are in another. Uh, two or three years time and and how the internet and services like Netflix and Hulu have an impact on um, uh, viewer viewer viewing patterns on the on TV I certainly haven't seen an adver- an advertisement on TV myself for uh, probably about um, three or four years at least yeah well that's going to make a big difference isn't it and I think it it comes down to all of those people that that buy, uh, you know, TV commercials, uh, getting to the point where all of those people are, are are using equipment or a large portion of them using equipment where they're not seeing the ads either, and then it will start to dawn on them. But in the meantime, they're still spending the money. Yeah. And yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. What you know, what will be the effect on um, on us in terms of access to this broadcast content in New Zealand if there's no advertising there to pay for it? Uh, you know, w- where does TVNZ go? Uh, you know, what's going to happen to TV3? What's going to happen to our radio stations when everyone's listening to uh, to podcasts and and uh, <laughs> you know streaming streaming music services and instead of listening to the radio? The revolution starts here, right here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Now, um, there, there's been last week we were talking about uh, Nearfield Communications and uh, announcement. Uh, the main announcement really was from uh, from Two Degrees that they've launched a handset that allows you to basically pay for your bus fares and uh, you know buy various services, food and shop at your local dairy just using your cell phone. You, you know, if you've left your uh, your wallet with your cards at home, you can actually do that. Uh, and in the last few days, we've seen an announcement from uh, from Mastercard globally, and they've announced that uh, they're they're now offering uh, their um, what's their one called, Mike? Is it PayPass? PayPass. That's their right. PayPass service, and they've now certified a whole range of smartphones from a, a, a real broad mix of vendors to work with that service. So what that means for us here in New Zealand, uh, we haven't had a chance to uh, to try that out, but um, we certainly will be will be looking to um, uh, to test this out. And there's a much broader range probably of uh, uh, vendors that are going to be able to take um, um, or do pay pass transactions uh, because this is something that's uh, you know really a, a, a global service coming from uh, from Mastercard. Uh, but some of the phones that they've mentioned that they um, uh, they've certified, there's a bunch of uh, devices from uh, uh, BlackBerry, the the higher end uh, black or newer uh, BlackBerry Bold and BlackBerry Curve devices that have that near field communications capability. Uh, the newest HTC, the One X. Uh, they've got a couple of LG uh, handsets mentioned there, and uh, interestingly, the newest uh, Nokia Windows phone, the Lumia 610 which is actually the really, really cheap uh, Windows phone from Nokia that they've started launching in uh, some of the market, some of the Asian markets primarily so far and I think is destined for uh, India and African markets. Um, that one includes near-field communications and, and is supported. Uh, there's a bunch of Samsung uh, handsets there as well and uh, some of the uh, Sony Xperia's. So most of those aren't really directly available in New Zealand at the moment, but uh, I imagine over time we're gonna, we'll see lots of these phones sort of flooding into the market. Yeah, I think this is obviously the advance guard. If I look at the phones that they've announced, the, you know, they're, they're here in New Zealand, they'd probably account for 
less than one uh, percent of the um, of market share in terms of handsets. But obviously, this um, NFC uh, type of uh, technology is 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 going to become more prevalent. I mean, having said that, having just returned from the States last uh, week, the, one of the things I love about this country is our FPOS network. It's fantastic. You can go into any basically uh, any retail store and, and, and use an FPOS card to carry out a transaction which you can't necessarily do in the in the in the US so uh, but obviously carrying one one less device not having to carry a wallet just having to the, the smartphone is the only thing you have to carry around I think that's probably we'll see that sometime in the next um, 12 to 24 months that that is uh, potentially becomes a real reality. It's tricky though, way eh? because I just I I'm trying to imagine myself shopping for a phone, and I just can't imagine the fact that I can I can pay for my bus fare with my phone being sort of a, the point of difference that that swings the balance if I'm if I'm look if I'm trying to decide between two phones. So it's it's kind of funny to see to see how how they're rolling it out and what what the priority actually is because I I just can't imagine many many users actually caring that much when when you're shopping for the phone. Yeah, I guess, it, I mean, over time, we're seeing Nokia dropping it into their very lowest end uh, Windows phone. This is a handset that, if it does land here, is probably a you know, $300 handset. So it's, you know, it's, it's really down right at the bottom in terms of general uh, smartphone specifications. So, you know, I don't think that's in there probably for any other reason than that, you know, Nokia... See a see a purpose in having their field communications. Uh, maybe they have some plans to clip the ticket on 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 these types of transactions, like like everybody else. Um, you know, I'm not sure about that picture, but I imagine it will just become the norm. It's not something you'll you'll even ask for. It's uh, you know, it will just become standard. Um, and yeah, interesting, uh, Mitch, your point about uh, you know how good the FPOS network is here in New Zealand, how simple it is to pay for things. Uh, because you know, I look at my in my wallet that I keep cash in, and it's uh, you know I've got US dollars in there. Um, you know, from from visiting the US, I don't generally carry New Zealand dollars. No, I'm the same. Um, you know, wh- why would you need to anymore? You very really actually need need cash in New Zealand because you know virtually everything is uh, is electronic. Um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting times. I guess the um, the thing that would hold me back from dropping uh, my wallet is I've got an AA card in there. I've got, uh, uh, what have I got, a supermarket uh, card. I've got a few of those sorts of cards. Uh, I've got an airline card. Those are things that I would like to all move to an electronic format, and I guess we're seeing that now with um, uh, Air New Zealand where you can do your... Uh, uh, you know, check in on your phone. We were chatting about that last week, uh, and that's sort of starting to uh, starting to happen. So we, I guess, alongside uh, NFC for payments, we're going to need something uh, something similar for all of these sort of store cards and loyalty cards and so on, so we can get rid of all of this rubbish that we're uh, we're carrying around. I think, ironically, the thing that I'll miss the most because I can definitely see my phone replacing all of those cards, but. I'm wondering where am I going to, um, the thing I'm going to miss is a place to put my paper receipts for my uh, business expenses. <laughs> well, those are going electronic as well. And you would have probably had this in the US where you get stores that you go into that just say, would you like me to email it to you? Do you want a paper receipt? And uh, in fact, I had this from uh, Janssen Audio in um, in Auckland over the weekend uh, where where I was buying some equipment for for the studio and uh, and they said they could send me a PDF so I said great I don't need a printed copy just uh, yep. just give me the PDF thanks and 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 that's uh, that's perfect so if we can actually do away with those paper receipts uh, yeah even better yeah yeah um, one of the um, when I was judging the Imagine Cup uh, last weekend one of the teams that I um, saw they were actually they, they'd come up with a, a solution to the problem that nobody has any change and therefore nobody can donate to charity when you've got charity people you know collecting in the buckets on the side of the road nobody's ever got any change um, and they'd come up with a really interesting idea which was for a, a, a donation platform um, which allowed people to um, round up online purchases so if you're buying something on trade me and it came to you know three dollars ninety seven you could don- choose to donate the extra three cents. 
um, um, to charity, which which I thought was a really really cool idea. That's right. I think change for good. They called it. Is that right? Change for charity. Change for charity. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Okay, but it, I mean, it does sound like a good concept. I think. Uh, I mean, there's a few people doing. Trade me do something similar already, don't they? Where you can. Uh, I think you can round up your. Uh, you know, your purchases that way. I don't know. Maybe a- banks are doing it. ASB lets you lets you save the change, so you can, right, you can, that's you right. You can put it into your put it into your savings account. Okay. Now, talking about uh, money, um, the Australian government have made a plea for information to Apple and Microsoft, I believe, possibly some other vendors, around uh, the prices that they're, uh, they're they've been charging for uh, for some of their products and in the Australian market, which tends to reflect uh, pretty similarly into into our market here. Mike, you wrote a, a piece in uh, in Tech Day about this. What were your uh, what were your thoughts about it? Yeah, that, um, this is when I first started at Tech Day. This was one of the first um, stories I remember really piquing my interest. Was um, it was just after um, um, actually I don't even I don't even remember what the context was, but someone um, had done a little bit of research into. Um, just some Apple product and, and comparing the prices overseas because um, to the prices here because when you sort of you look at them and you think that can't all be that can't all be the exchange rate can it? Um, and um, yes, uh, this guy in Australia has been campaigning on it for over a year, and they've finally uh, the government's finally said that yes they're going to they're going to perform an inquiry um, and talk to uh, Apple and Microsoft and um, heaps of others and mm. and just get them to. Um, get them to justify it. The way they usually, um, the, the, their argument is that um, it cost them a lot of money to um, set up the support networks, set up the, um, um, you know, the, the retail chains and the, or not even necessarily well, the dis- retail Distribution, chains, all of those elements is yeah. more expensive in a smaller market, isn't it? And yeah, it's the economies, just the economies of scale that mean it's more expensive to sell them here than it is mm. um, overseas. But then... Um, there's the, the um, I think the inquiry is also not only going to be hardware but downloads as well, which is kind of a, a, a different question. I'm not sure how how different the download um, cost is. Well, I, I looked at the you know if you compare the price of a, on say for instance the Apple App Store, the you know the base price is is 99 US cents, and here in New Zealand it's a dollar 29. It's basically at the current conversion rates pretty much matching perfectly so there's no I it used s- to be a, it used to be a lot different uh some months back i'm sure it was a dollar 69 or or along those sort of lines for uh you know for the app so there was i think there was a bigger difference but that's maybe been pared down in uh, in recent months i've got a terrible memory i can't yeah. uh, so dollar 29 is the figure that sticks in my mind but right. uh, maybe that maybe that has mm. changed but the, i looked at then at, at say for instance a uh, uh the you know the base level iPad is an example in the in New Zealand you're paying and this is for an iPad 2 you're paying about 589 something around uh, something around there in the US it's 399 and the difference in price there is about 15% but uh, that price is here in New Zealand is GST inclusive whereas the the US prices uh, is sales tax Exclusive, so that probably leaves a margin of around about sort of eight percent or something difference. It's not a huge, uh, it's not a huge gap at least in in, in that particular um, for that particular example. Um, so, Amy yeah. Adams has indicated that that she's not interested in doing a similar sort of um, inquiry here, so we probably not are not going to see anything um, on a similar on a similar similar scale here. But it is it's going to be interesting to see what the uh, what the Australian inquiry turns up. And usually, if something happens in Australia and there is a, a shake-up, there's usually a flow on to New Zealand anyway, sure. which is is quite convenient. And I guess the reason why <laughs> um, you know New Zealand government can can leave it leave it with our uh, <laughs> big Australian bully uh, yeah. brothers to uh, shake up the American companies. Good on you, Aussie. Yeah, <laughs> they've got to help us somehow, right? Yeah, we love you. Yeah. Um, now. This story I read with a little bit of a chuckle in the last few days. Uh, it, um, I can't remember where I read this one, but it uh, mentioned that there was an 11-year-old kid um, who maybe doesn't like MacBooks because uh, he apparently destroyed 30 of them by uh, by peeing on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, when I read this... Um, I read this uh, article too, and I thought that this is actually a perfect opportunity for Intel. 
you know, they're marketing their uh, Ultrabook <laughs> line at the moment. And from what I've seen of the manufacturers who have taken that Ultrabook platform and produced computers, none of them have really come up with, to my mind, what's a, a really compelling uh, product relative to the, the MacBook here. But perhaps if they added P-proofness into the uh, Ultrabook <laughs> specification, they might be a, a niche there. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems to work. Um, you know, my my ThinkPad here has got the um, you know the leak holes and and so on. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if it was actually uh, designed for uh, uh, P, and uh, I'm not about to let anyone here <laughs> test it either. <laughs> thirty thirty just seems like so many. That seems like a lot. That's that's a that's a wide spray. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, Mike, you had a reasoning why uh, why this little bit of damage might uh, might have caused 30, uh, 30 machines to be written off. Can you uh, can you share that? I re- I read somewhere and I and I don't remember where. And so this is completely um, I can't I can't stand by this claim. But I I, I seem to remember reading somewhere that it's because um, Apple has a clause in in their um, service policy that they won't service anything. Um, that has has been in any um, been exposed to any sort of bio waste. So um, you know, even even if it got so much as a drop, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even open it up and and, and replace the cover. Um, which 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 is why he was able to, to destroy thirty of them with with one stream of whiz. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's there's an interesting one. Now we're not uh, we're not endorsing this this action. Uh, if you if you don't like Macs or or, or any other brand of equipment, um, but uh, yeah, this this wasn't wasn't a local story, and uh, we're hoping there won't be anything similar uh, in the in the local news anytime soon. Uh, but in in terms of uh, uh, local local items, um, we understand the Commerce Commission uh, have a move in place to reduce the price of access to uh, Chorus's copper network. Now, th- this is the uh, network we use for our existing ADSL uh, internet connections today. Um, I'm sort of scratching my head a little bit on this one. What what do you guys think? Look, I, I think it's a great move. I was really surprised that um, you know um, Chorus came, came out and came out against it because I, I mean, you're not going to win yourself any any fans by by um, you know coming out against price drops, um, and and so th- their argument was that it's going to disincentivise um, going to going to fibre, um, but it. I don't know. It, it seemed to me that that, that was a, a really strange argument because I think people have a, you know, the the the, the country's consumers have a, a a maximum level that they can spend on on their um, internet, and I think lowering the price of copper will will definitely draw more people towards um, using fibre. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can understand from there. Obviously, setting up a fibre network is is an expensive um, and huge investment, and so I can see from also from their perspective the. I mean, wearing my consumer hat, I'm all into paying less, and and then also from understanding the perspective in terms of the huge investment that's required to build an infrastructure uh, and. That that I can understand their perspective from from that. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of I don't exactly in, until you actually looked until I until you actually looked at what the actual and saw a spreadsheet and saw what the numbers actually turned out to be like. I, it's hard to know um, from the, you know looking at the bigger picture. It's hard to know what the um, uh, what what the um, you know what the what the truth is about this thing. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think the the big point was uh, that there's going to be a big fall in the the price for access in in non-urban locations. Yeah. So, you know, people that are outside of um, you know of main centres, the I guess that um, that access sort of wholesale rate uh, to the connections uh, is thirty six over thirty six dollars now, and that's going to drop to around um, twenty dollars. So. Um, yeah, I think that's that's got to be a um, you know a positive thing in terms of access to uh, to DSL connections and so on outside of the, uh, outside of the big cities. So sounds like good news to me. Yep. Now, 
Bar Camp. Now, this is, I don't know if you guys have um, ever been to uh, it's a Bar Camp that, that happens here, um, but I uh, it was just, just announced this week um, that uh, Bar Camp NZ, which usually takes place in, uh, in Auckland each year, um, has been renamed to Gather, and this has sort of gone from a, um, a free event to one with a reasonably low entry cost of uh, 15 or or uh, or thirty dollars. So uh, those who are um, are interested in that that type of event, um, sort of aimed at sort of I guess uh, tech people and creative people or the, the crossover sort of space in there, um, and uh, that is coming up at the end of June. So where's that? Where's that being held? Uh, it's being held at uh, Botany Downs Secondary College. Yeah. Either of you guys attended before? I, I haven't. I've, I mean, I've attended this sort of style of event, I guess. Uh, and what I noticed, somebody was sort of referencing it uh, in in terms of um, or comparing it to Webstock, which is a completely, you know, dramatically different event where you've got, you know, big name speakers, you know, flown in from, uh, um, you know, other parts of the world, where, you know, whereas this is one where the attendees uh, basically, you know, over the over that weekend, uh, attendees will actually get up and and speak and or or coordinate uh, discussions. So you know it's an it's what's often termed as an unconference uh, in many regards. Uh, but these sort of events can be really really good. And uh, you know if you're interested, definitely uh, definitely go and uh, go and look it up. I think they're uh, limiting it to about 300 or 200 and. Uh, 270, uh, 275 attendees, um, and if the previous events are anything to go by, they'll probably fill up reasonably quickly. So, uh, worth uh, worth going and having a look out for that one. Right now, next next up, uh, a little bit of a chat around um, Mac OS X security. Now, there's been uh, been a little bit in the news uh, around this. In the last few days, um, Mike, have you uh, have you reported on uh, on any of any of this in, in recent days? Um, I haven't actually covered it myself. I've been I've been keeping track of it a little bit. Um, so it's 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 the Kaspersky guy, right? Has made is it the CEO? Well, there were there were a couple of stories. So there was one um, there was one a couple of weeks ago around. Uh, uh, yeah, the the CEO and founder of uh, Kaspersky. Uh, you're better at pronouncing that than I am. Uh, and uh, he made a comment that he felt that uh, Apple's security in OS X was about a decade behind Microsoft's, uh, which I thought was a fairly uh, bold statement and and probably designed to grab a few headlines more than anything else. Uh, what what do you think about that? Well, I, I mean, obviously, this this uh, the, this uh, flashback Trojan, which um, infected suppose what was it, six hundred thousand devices, was the figure yep. I seem to recall. Yep. Um, was that's what's been bandied around anyway. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, it was inevitable that it was going to happen, and the only thing that's really that's surprising to my mind is that it it took this long to have a to have a big uh, story or a, 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 a big breakout around a, a virus or a Trojan um, infecting Mac devices. I think the the, uh, the antivirus software manufacturers like Kaspersky and uh, the likes, AVG, etc., there um, have a vested interest in, in driving more software sales, so they're going to be producing link bait type titles and, and quotes uh, like the fact that the Apple is 10 years behind, but I do think they've obviously had a lot less experience. Apple are, have a lot less experience than uh, Microsoft in this area, and I and I hope that they uh, respond very proactively to these latest threats by building up their internal capacity to make sure that they can respond in a more timely fashion to the inevitable increase in in um, in uh, malware on the OS X platform. Well, it had to come, didn't it? I mean, as the platform gets more more popular, which which it is doing. I mean, their uh, their growth, uh, and particularly in uh, I think in sort of Asia Pacific sort of region, New Zealand included, uh, has been pretty dramatic in terms of the you know the uh, upturn in sort of sales for 
um, you know, Macs, particularly, uh, you know, Mac, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro and, and iMacs, yeah, I'm just coming across more and more people every day that are, oh, I think I'll get a Mac this time around. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just, you know. Um, What's really surprising is that nothing's happened on iPhone yet. I remember there was a huge, um, I remember doing a few stories about the um, Ryzen malware on Android as that platform has gotten gotten more popular. Um, but I, I, I can't remember ever seeing anything about any, any iPhone well, there have there have been issues around you know apps for instance that uh, uh, taking you know chunks of data off your phone and and downloading them uh, you know unbeknownst to the end user you've got an app that says it's allowed to access your contacts and there have been a, you know I think uh, you know, at least one big example where having access to your contacts means that it actually takes all the contacts on your phone downloads it to the uh, the the, the uh, the servers that that app owner uh, has, and then comparing them against a database to deliver the functionality without actually telling you, oh, when I mean access your apps, I mean actually I'm gonna, I mean access your contacts. I'm actually gonna download them all. Yeah. Um, so much. I mean, that's not a, that's not so much a malware no. thing as just no, a, but it's still a, it's a security issue security that, issue, that yeah. uh, you know is, hasn't been necessarily addressed and, and catered to very well. And the other one was um, apps that were able to access your photos, uh, and were actually able to um, no, they were designed to access your location information from your photos, but were actually able to access your whole photo collection, and again had the potential that they could download all the photos off your phone to a remote location without uh, you know without telling users. So there have been a few uh, little bits and pieces, but yeah, mm. very different to the malware sort of issues that I guess mm. we've. Uh, uh, you know, we've heard some pretty big stories about on uh, on Android, but yeah, you know, that said, I don't think any any mobile platform, um, you know, can can be entirely uh, risk free, can it? It's going to be pretty big news if someone manages to to, to break in. Now, oh, the other story around uh, Apple was what was just in the last few days. I think it was late last week. Was um, that uh, a bit of a security blunder? Uh, in Mac OS X 10.7 uh, or Lion um, was able to explo- expose uh, people's login passwords in uh, in clear text. So that was a yeah a bit of a a bit of a major um, uh, muck up on uh, on the part of uh, at least somebody at Apple and I guess uh, yeah somebody else for not picking that one up. Yeah, I suspect he's an ex-employee now. Yeah, <laughs> so I imagine this is something that Apple will address pretty quickly. Uh, but the concern is, and in, in, in this case, uh, what happens is the password gets logged to a file on your local machine. So um, there, I guess, yeah, there, there's there's the potential that uh, people that have this, if they're not aware of it, will actually that log file will still sit on their machine with their uh, with their password accessible. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a chunk of details online if you know if you're um, into or interested in in reading a little bit more about this. It's it's not entirely obscure, but it is a little bit of an of, of an obscure one. It's not likely to affect you know every single person running uh, running line, but uh, you know it is a major enough one that uh, yeah it was worth uh, worth mentioning. Now, uh, now the other big, I guess, local story really is around uh, mobile data uh, in New Zealand with uh, with two degrees, and uh, they've just announced uh, something which I think probably all of us have wished we could have for a long, a long, long time, uh, is an ability to share the data off your uh, mobile plan with a secondary device, such as an iPad or your your laptop or a or a you know USB uh, dongle. Um, any any uh, any even, opinions on that, Mike? Is this something that excites you? Oh, it's super cool. You can even you can even do it to another um, another two degrees phone. So if your 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 partner or your kids or something, if you want them if you want them to be able to access it as well, then um, you can you can sign the, you can sign them up as well, which I think is going to be a huge uh, huge draw card for two degrees and is is really really setting them apart. Yeah, kudos to uh, speaking about innovation. We've talked before about MaxNet innovating in the ISP space, but good on uh, Two Degrees for innovating in the in this uh, mobile data plan space because it's. I, I remember uh, this time last year I was paying f- for four lots of four different plans. I had my 
paying for uh, an ISP for my business, paying another ISP for home, and then paying um, another ISP for my phone, both my phone and my iPad, so four different plans. So the idea that at least I can reduce that from four different plans to three different plans and have the uh, have all my mobile devices sharing a single data plan, I think that's that's great and, and I, uh, I hope they're rewarded with um, lots of new customer acquisition. There is going to be a bit of a charge, it's free at the moment, but it's going to be $5 a month and then plus I think it's another dollar for each additional device, so for the $5 you can share with one. Yeah, but that's, that's nothing really in the scheme of things, isn't it? Given that the minimum, usually if you're buying a data plan for, like if you're buying a data plan for a tablet or something like that, you're, you know, a minimum plan is, is well, at least when I was via uh, telecom because you need to buy probably um, you know something like at least a minimum of, of probably half a gig if you're using it on a tablet and you're using it out mm. outside mm. of Wi-Fi much and you're looking at 30 40 bucks at least for something like that yeah even those sort of cheap sort of 10 or 15 dollar type plans and so on you don't you know the the lower the lower cost ones you don't get much data so this allows you to slice up a reasonably sized data plan and mm. you know I look at the the, the um, and I'm actually you know generally pretty happy with the uh, the Vodafone plan that that we're on as a business although I noticed they've now locked that down to uh, uh, businesses with less than five users but if I could split that data that I, that I get which is over a gig a month on my mobile and I don't you know I don't use it I think I get a gig and a half if I could pay an extra five dollars to uh, uh, you know to have access to that through my laptop or my iPad both of which have got 3G uh, uh, connections my MacBook doesn't but I could you know plug in a you know a dongle there if I could say have a SIM card in all of those and yep. it was only going to cost me the five dollars plus the one for the extra devices yep. I'd, I'd have a SIM card on everything so I'd have you know four connections yeah great um, but you often just don't bother because of as Mitch says you know you can to uh, to have a reasonable plan to cover you it could be you know might be 30 bucks um, so you, you just don't go there well I guess that's going to be the interesting thing because two degrees you know they they target the low end of the market and it's going to be interesting to see whether they've they've got the kind of user base that, that is going to want to take advantage of, of something like this well they are they are hitting businesses more and more and Mitch I don't know if you've had this but I'll get regular calls actually now from either a t- either two degrees themselves or one of their dealers calling up and saying you know hey you know are you in a contract are you are you open uh to changing we'd be happy to come and talk to you and they seem very aggressive now about going over the uh you know about chasing business customers and you know i think they're um they're working very very hard in that space so um yeah i think they you know probably as time goes on the average revenue that they're getting per customer um you know although they're doing these things to keep rates down will probably go up as they they hit those uh those higher end type customers and yeah, that uh, all you can eat mobile um, offering that they launched you know last year flat fee mm. yeah unlimited unlimited calls um, those sorts of offerings that they're coming into the market with are uh, uh, certainly pretty pretty helpful I think good on them mm. yeah and and there's a flow-on effect of course for for all of us because when you get a competitor coming into the the market dropping the rates then uh, yeah the incumbents are having to uh, you know play ball as well so right. um, yeah not a bad thing for everyone except for the uh, shareholders of those companies I'm sure they'll cope <laughs> now um, oh the other thing that I, I thought just just worth a little bit of a mention and we, and we will try and uh, cover this off a little bit more in, in future episodes um, is that um, Mac OS X 10.8, the um, the new version that's coming out sometime over the next uh, next few months, um, codenamed Mountain Lion. Um, I've been having quite a bit of a play around with that on my MacBook, and uh, I have to be cautious what I talk about because there's a there's a, um, uh, a non-disclosure agreement around uh, having developer access to these new versions. Uh, but there's been a fair bit of information floating around uh, around publicly. Uh, but for those that are, um, are Mac users and are sort of keen to get a little bit of a taste of what's coming, you can sign up to uh, Apple's developer program for, I think it's uh, 99 US. It might be, I don't know whether that translates uh, directly to a New Zealand price, I can't recall. But um, 
it's not very expensive to get access to these new versions for those who are really keen to try them out. And one of the features that I can talk about, because there's been a fair bit of uh, discussion around it online, uh, is the um, AirPlay mirroring feature. And this is really, really cool. So um, in the room next door, we've got a um, nice big plasma TV set up with an Apple TV box attached to it. And that Apple TV box, they're now... Um, yeah, they're getting a little bit closer to the US pricing. I think they're $159 here in New Zealand. And uh, you plug that in and you're able to basically mirror your Mac screen straight up onto the TV. Could be a projector, uh, but it's just, it's so simple and, uh, and seamless. And compared to running all the cables to get your picture off your, you know, your laptop screen onto the TV, it's just, it really is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. great. It's, I mean, it, it seems a... Uh, the the mountain lion really represents just an, another stage in this um, convergence between iOS and and OS X. So we've got a number of the the uh, iOS apps and features like the the um, the messages app, the the to do app, the notes app that we that we're now seeing that have been on iOS and are now. Uh, moving across to OSX in conjunction with iCloud syncings, uh, we've got the 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 uh, what's it called notification center that was introduced in iOS iOS 5 is being introduced into this next version of um, uh, OSX, uh, and I guess the the other thing that is somewhat new, which is sort of a bit more under the hood, is the uh, introduction of this feature called Gatekeeper. Which is just adding another level of security into their uh, access control, which means that by default uh, applications uh, are a lot more locked down and and have uh, more limited access to system resources like the the um, the file system, uh, but but can at the same time be um, can be turned off. So uh, I guess just. Again, my my only fear around OS X really is that is that Apple try and dumb it down too much so that uh, so that it loses uh, some of the the flexibility in and in particular around the whole idea of the file system being sandboxed around a particular application. I don't think that I think that can work. For a like on a tablet or a, an, uh, or a um, a smartphone, but the idea that you, um, my files I want to be able to access from multiple different uh, applications, you know, in particular, you know, just a plain text file, I I I'll access my plain text files from lots of different applications. So I don't want to see my I don't want to see that uh, file sandboxing type system being extended too far, or at least that there isn't a way of getting around it. Yeah, I mean, they seem to be going in quite a good direction. Uh, Yeah, I mean, in terms of that concern, you know, there's also that sort of uh, dumbing down of apps, and we saw that with uh, Final Cut Pro X. You know, they they took what was really a great video editing, uh, you know, uh, product, and then they... They launched what was the new version, and it and it had uh, you know lesser features than, than the old one. And you know, eventually they gave into the uproar and allowed people to actually still uh, buy and run the old one. But I think there's a lot of good things happening here, and there are quite a few similarities I'm noticing noticing between what Microsoft are doing uh, with with the future of Windows and Windows 8, uh, and also what what Apple are doing. Uh, some of those are around security. The notifications you talked about, we see sort of similar things uh, in Windows uh, 8. Uh, there's sort of sandboxing things there in Windows 8. But yeah, the gatekeeper, which you mentioned in Mountain Lion, actually, the, I'm still in two minds of that. I think the whole concept is really good. And the, and the default uh, setup with Mountain Lion means that you won't be able to install an app unless it actually comes through the App Store. And of course, an app that comes through the App Store is really... Uh, you know, Apple have a lot of control around testing that and so on before it actually gets to you. But my, I guess my concern, and, it, and it's really a shorter term one, is that uh, people will, in a lot of cases, just turn that off immediately because they have their own apps that they need to install yep. that uh, that feature won't be relevant for. But longer term, um, yeah, that that could certainly make some sense, and I think is going to uh, is going to you know protect people. Uh, you know, certainly in theory, from these malware-type issues. If you've got that turned on, then 
um, you know, uh, it's going to stop you uh, being able to, uh, you know, achieve certain things. Although, in terms of this this most recent malware issue, that's been able to bypass everything, and even without your, uh, uh, you know, you entering admin passwords, you know, it's still been able to uh, uh, infect your Mac uh, in terms of this flashback malware that we've seen recently. So, yeah. All right. Um, good. So moving on, I think um, our last bit of discussion really uh, this week is, um, Mitch, we, we were quite keen to hear a, a little bit from you around your experiences in the, in the game uh, space. And uh, Small Worlds has, has been extremely successfully globally. Uh, you know, you've uh, you produced the software here and, and run the whole company uh, from New Zealand. And you've got a pretty big base of users around the world. Can you um, just refresh us on on that, since it's been, it's been some time since we've chatted? Sure. So uh, we launched about three, just over three years ago, um, and in that time we've built up a, a registered user base of of over seven million. Most of those coming out of the uh, out of the US, uh, and then out of from there, probably the next biggest market is the UK, and then um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. In fact, just uh, four days ago, we launched into uh, Brazil, which is our first non-English market. And uh, it's a huge, there's something about Brazilians, they quite seem like quite a social sort of um, bunch of people and they take quite high internet usage. One of the things that's interesting is that uh, for looking at our competitors is that whereas for uh, our, our, our demographic split is about 60% female 40% male it's exact it's reversed in in Brazil for some reason so I don't know whether this speaks to the the greater social um, this the greater sociability of males in Brazil or what I'm not quite sure but uh, yeah uh, basically our strategy moving on from here is just basically gradually expanding out geographically to um, expand into more and more non-English markets probably Europe is the the next market and and then we'll be looking at the asian markets after that that's great that must bring with it a lot of challenges in terms of uh you know how your software operates and and uh yeah how do you you know do you wall do you wall those groups off so uh you know um so that you know people aren't going to be trying to interact with each other and and uh and in languages that aren't compatible how does that work yeah, well, I mean, from a technological point of view in this day and age, you know, we're, the, we're running our, all of our infrastructure on Amazon's um, EC2, so that makes scalability um, pretty easy from a technological perspective. And then when you're running any sort of community, uh, you inevitably have uh, people banging into one another, and uh, I mean that in a metaphorical sense, but uh, <laughs> and where there's differences, there's an opportunity for conflict. So interestingly enough, when we first opened up Small Worlds, we actually had this massive inpouring of, of Brazilian people into Small Worlds, and that created a bit of tension because you've got people who, um, you've got foreign, those damn foreigners who are speaking, uh, speaking some other language. <laughs> you get that sort of feedback. So, huh? but you get, I mean, we get the same thing as well, where you've got younger players who, you know, younger teens who might be doing into role-playing, you know, playing mummies and daddies or hospitals or something like that, and the older players get annoyed by them. So it's an inevitable part of... Of being a human, of being a social, of being a social being, and 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 we work to try and uh, minimise that that conflict wherever we can. Is that what made you choose Brazil in the first place, as or like as the first non-English speaking place to go? Well, I think for for uh, games and virtual worlds, it's actually and for a lot of the big products, it's actually the second biggest market for the outside of the US. Right. Um, so you've got like 250 million people. You've got a, a country whose economy is growing strongly, and where the uh, you're monetizing probably at around about 60% of what the you're monetizing a, an average US player at. Uh, but correspondingly, your cost of acquisition is probably similar. So it's a great market to be. It made it was the most obvious choice for us. Uh, most obvious non-English 
market to go into by by a significant uh, margin. Whereas you, for instance, the, the next from a language perspective, the Spanish market is obviously a huge market. You've got mm. the South America, you've got a lot of North America, and then you've got Spain. But those countries are quite the those countries are also quite a bit poorer in general terms, and so they don't. Whilst it's large, they also don't monetize quite so well. Spanish will probably be the next market we move into, but mm. yeah, certainly Portuguese and Portuguese Brazilian market was an obvious next choice. Mm, that's great. Now, um, as well as Small Worlds, you've got um, Game Dojo. Yeah. Tell us about that. Where does that fit into the picture? Well, having been involved in the game industry here in New Zealand for a few years now, I've every time I uh, travel and and come back to New Zealand, I'm, I'm struck again by what a great country this is to live in, and and also what. Uh, smart and creative people we we have here, and just refl- I remember seeing uh, Sir Paul Callahan's uh, one of his speeches that he gave uh, last year, um, and he talked about you know what what does New Zealand need to do to 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 build its national prosperity, and one of the things he talked about was this great metric which was GDP per employee. And he talked about we need to be building more businesses uh, and industries where the GDP per employee is higher than our average, which is about $120,000 per employee. And the games industry is a great industry for that in terms of our, its capacity to the, the revenue per employee is, is a lot higher than that. And so I've felt for a while that there's an opportunity for the games industry to be making more of a contribution to our economy. Uh, and we've got we're well set up here in terms of just the net access to natural talent to be able to do that. Uh, but one of the biggest problems of starting any business is just getting is getting started. And I, and so the purpose of the game dojo is really to support and help set up the right conditions so it's much easier to establish a, a games company here in New Zealand, um, or to, to basically make money becoming a to, to make money from developing games. So we're working in conjunction with. Uh, national level government agencies like MSI and NZT now you know, with the, and the upcoming um, Ministry of Business Innovation and Environment and what's the other one? I can't remember what the other anyway, MB um, as well as uh, local uh, government like um, Auckland Tourism and, and Economic Development uh, and then with the risk capital community the, the sort of seed stage type of investors to, to create the uh, to make it so that it's a lot more, a lot easier to 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 um, connect your passion and your talent with uh, the opportunity to contribute to your own freedom and prosperity as well as the countries as a whole. That's really cool. I think that's going to open up some great opportunities, and uh, you know, certainly I imagine uh, we'll have some listeners out there who are um, you know in the space of developing games and the like that are probably not quite sure. You know, how do we get from ideas they've got and things that they've started developing? So uh, this would would certainly create some uh, uh, some opportunities to help them uh, to to get things kickstarted and moving along. I imagine that's certainly the aim. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right. Um, well, th- I think that's us for this week on the NZ Tech Podcast. So uh, thanks everybody for listening in. Uh, you can always find us online, and uh, that is at nztechpodcast.com. Uh, we're on Facebook too. So uh, you are welcome to jump in there and uh, and like us so you can keep up to date with uh, our various tidbits and, and, and news things that we post along the way. So uh, that's facebook.com slash NZ Tech Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter at NZ Tech Podcast. Uh, now, guys, where do, we find, uh, where do we find you online? Mike? Um, uh, we're Tech Days on, uh, on Facebook um, and all of our... We publish NetGuide and a few other titles so those are all uh, you can find all those via our Tech Day Facebook page and we're on Twitter as well Tech Day NZ and NetGuide net is in we, that's pretty much on every supermarket and bookstore it's that's everywhere isn't it yep it's all over the place you can't miss it yep yep no that's good and what was your what's your Twitter handle or what's the best Twitter handle for um, for uh, Tech Day best way to reach me is Tech Day NZ yep excellent uh, and for me, um, websites smallworlds.com, gamedojo.com, Twitter handles uh, ampersand smallworlds and ampersand game dojo, and my personal Twitter handle is uh, Mitch underscore Olson. That's Olson S O N. So Mitch underscore O L S O N. 
Excellent, excellent. All right. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a real uh, a real privilege having uh, both of you uh, on the podcast, having you back again, uh, Mitch, and uh, having you here, Mike. Uh, we'll certainly hope to uh, catch you here again in the not-too-distant future. Um, our format is such now that it's a little bit uh, there's a little bit more room to uh, to have guests on so uh, um, we'll be trying to uh, twist your arms and, and get you back on the show uh, and if anyone's looking out for me online uh, you can find me on Twitter is just my name at Paul Spain uh, and uh, my main uh, blog which most of my sort of techie news uh, comes through uh, is techjungle.com uh, which you can also find uh, find through uh, through Geekzone. So thanks everyone for listening in. We will catch you right here on the NZ Tech Podcast again next week. Cheers.